You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, October 27th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Tales of the Jedi, the new short-form animated series on Disney+. Plus. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Star Wars expert Brian Young. I'm so thrilled to be here. Okay, guys, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. This is a this is the thing that I don't think I was too excited about. And not that like I, I wasn't, you know, anything Star Wars excites me, but I was kind of like, oh, it's going to be a bunch of shorts. Like, I, I think the shorts on Disney Plus have kind of let me down. Like those I am Groot things. They like seem so disposable, like uh, especially how they like present them on, on, on the platform. Uh, but you know, giving my brief reaction to this, I, I was kind of blown away by this series and I hope they do more of it because I, I, it, it was so good. And actually, Brian, tell me this, if, is the animation in the series that much better than rebels and clone wars? Because it looks like it to me. Like, yeah. So it's funny, I, as we're, we were waiting to record this, I was writing up my coverage and I was literally just typing the words before we started recording that every time this animation team has taken a new bite of the apple, they managed to improve their animation style and their lighting by leaps and bounds every time. And this is no exception. Like this does look that much better than Rebels and it looks that much better than even the most recent season of Clone Wars that they sort of did just a couple of years ago. Or yes. Uh, it's just every frame is a painting and it just looks terrific. Uh, especially the backgrounds. The backgrounds feel like and look like old school matte paintings to me. And uh, I just love uh, the fantasy kind of 
uh, almost sa- samurai feeling of this show. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's especially in the last episode, like they really played up like Kevin kind of really played up like the the Kurosawa style music with the drums and and that that it was just really good. I will say uh, I, I'm going to take one knock at Andor here. It's, it's my nitpick is watching this show and even like the small little bites of it that we get uh, reinforced, like seeing the galaxy populated with so many alien creatures, alien species, droids. It really solidified my biggest nitpick about Andor, like not having any of those things or like having very little of those things. I will say that's one of the reasons that this animation kind of gets better and better every time is because once they've built an asset, like um, this was something when I, when I was interviewing the Clone Wars crew quite a bit is like, they didn't have money to populate the backgrounds of the aliens and stuff. So if you notice in earlier seasons, they wouldn't really have that. And then they do a big arc and it would be like, well, we need all the Mon Calmari. And then all of a sudden, that episode would pay for them to rig all of the Mon Calmari so they could use them in perpetuity. And so now, after seven seasons of Clone Wars and four of Rebels and some of Star uh, Resistance, they have all the assets to do all of that much more cheaply and cost-effectively than they ever have. But, you know, it's animation too. So, like, once you build that, that Mon Calmari mask or that Rodian mask, you have it forever and you can tweak it with you know with andor it's live action you still have to pay someone guild rates to get into the costume and someone has to build it and <laughs> so on and so forth okay uh brad what is your brief reaction for tales of the jedi uh well i'm gonna be a little bit of a naysayer here because i thought that this was just okay um and oh no and i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna be honest i am not the biggest fan of the animation style uh, that is used and has been used from Clone Wars through Rebels and and this. I will agree that I think that the backgrounds uh, and environments look fantastic. Um, I do like the the artistic style there, but there's something about the texture of the characters and like sometimes their movement feeling a little bit herky-jerky uh, that I, I haven't really enjoyed very much. It, it has improved, um, but there's, there's just something about the style that I'm not fully, you know, uh, enamored with. I, I don't hate it and it doesn't really take me out of it, but it's just something that's always kind of bugged me. Um, especially when it comes to like just certain details on like on character faces and, uh, and things like that for, I, I don't mind as much, uh, when it's like, uh, something involving action because they've done a really good job of doing lightsaber fights and things like that, um, with the, the this animation style, but, uh, other stuff I just when it comes to like emotional sequences or, or things like that, I, I have a hard time, uh, you know, staying connected to the characters, but there, there are cool moments throughout. Um, I appreciate how this kind of like enhances some of the, the details that we know about uh, certain time periods during the, the prequels and things like that. Um, but I just thought that this was fine. Honestly, this, this kind of just, this feels like just like, like a, like bonus materials from like a DVD release or something like that. I mean, I, I see that because it, it does in in a lot of ways. It's it's uh, tying loose ends and showing you stuff that like we kind yeah. of assumed happened. Yeah, or it feels like stuff that they're putting in to like maybe set up something that might come up later. So like this maybe makes more sense, or like it fills in a gap, so you can be like, you know, it's it's that Star Wars thing of like, oh, that's that's why they're it, doing that. It solves the one problem in the Mandalorian where Ahsoka's like. I only knew one other of his kind, uh, so they just they had to get rid of Yaddle before Ahsoka joined the Order, right? Yeah. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that. Okay, oh, Brian, what is your brief thoughts on this before we get into episode by episode? So I really love the Clone Wars. I really love that style. It really grew on me over the years. Um, you know, I was a little iffy on it when it started, but once I got into it, it really um, works for me. So so I'm a little bit different from from Brad there. Um, but these stories all had a lot more interconnectivity than I expected. I expected them to just sort of be one-offs, but I think thematically uh, and chronologically, there's a lot of really interesting themes that tie throughout them that made it um, a lot richer than I think um, I expected it to be. I, I expected it to be more of those DVD extra one-off shorts, kind of like Visions was, where they like were had very little relation to one another. But I think that there was... Um, something really powerful about choosing these two particular Jedi to tell these particular stories about in the context of this six episode arc. 
You know, one thing I wasn't expecting is to it, for it to be told in chronological order. Largely chronological order. I think the first one is out of chronological order. Oh, is it? Well, I think Ahsoka is definitely born probably after Qui-Gon's time as a Padawan. She's only 15 or 16 when Clone Wars starts, and the Qui-Gon mm. that they used in that, that first Dooku short is... Uh, yeah, he felt like that was like a like a twenty something Qui Gon. Yeah, so so if we were going strict chronological order, it would probably be switched uh, with the Ahsoka episode going second. And my guess is that's probably how they wanted to do it. And Disney Plus was like, "No, everybody loves Ahsoka, and she disappears for three episodes. So let's just let's just switch those and give people a taste." Yeah. Well, that first episode is better than the second episode too. So it's. Okay, let's. Uh, did you have anything else to say in your brief thoughts before we get into it? No, I think it 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 really fits really well with the canon and adds some new stuff that uh, I think is interesting. And anybody who has some arguments about where it fits in the canon, I'm happy to have those conversations. Okay, the first episode is called "Life and Death" and is directed by Nathaniel Villanueva, who has directed. Uh, six episodes of Bad Batch, four episodes of Clone Wars. He started as a story artist on Ultimate Spider-Man and was also a story, uh, storyboard artist on Star Wars Rebels. And this is written by Dave Filoni, as uh, most of these episodes are, all except for one of them. So uh, I'm not going to do a break. We're not going to do a breakdown of the episodes, kind of like how we do with the, every other show. I'm just going to uh, recap the plot very briefly. So Ahsoka is born and taken into a traditional, like on a traditional hunting quest a year later by her mother. And uh, she's kidnapped by a tiger-like creature, only to be returned to the town, having taken control of the creature using the Force, leading her mother and the tribe to learn that she is to be a Jedi. Uh, I love that... Uh, how we kind of get to discover like the, the wonders of this world through the uh, baby Ahsoka's eyes, like those plants that spit out those like dandelions and stuff like that. I do think it's, it's probably a little too early to take your, your daughter uh, on a trip where you get, you murder a deer before her eyes. I thought one year old, this felt like a cultural thing though. It felt (laughs) like something that they like, because when, when they're like, has it been a year already? Like, it feels like a rite of passage and something really, really interesting there. And this episode really dripped with those Princess Mononoke touchstones that Dave Filoni is so interested in. Okay, Brian, I, I do want to ask you this. Anytime a woman character is introduced into Star Wars canon, there's always speculation online of who she's related to, who's the mother, who's the, fa- do you know what I mean? Like, oh, Jen Urso looks a lot like, you know, what, you know, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Why is it that Ahsoka's parents have never been part of fan speculation? Is it because she's a Togruta or whatever? Uh, I think it's just, I mean, A, there aren't a whole lot of Togruta characters. And it's not like people are going to go like, oh, Shakti must be her mother. But the way they established the Jedi Order was very much like, She's taken as a kid. And then we sort of slowly got those pieces of that story about Plo Koon finding her. Um, So it was like we knew she was with her people on some dirt planet, you know, so like who cared? Right. Yeah, it's it's because she's not a, a brunette with dark eyes who could potentially be related to half the galaxy. Yeah, exactly. Brad, any thoughts on this episode in particular? I like this episode. Uh, you know, this was this is one of the ones I think I, I appreciated the most out of this batch. Um, you know, even though I'm not a big uh, anime person, uh, I occasionally do like its aesthetic when applied to certain kinds of stories. And like Brian said, this one did feel like it emulated uh, Princess Mononoke. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for these kinds of stories, actually, you know, when like it taps into uh, like the cultural elements of the of these characters and like their uh, connection with with nature and things like that so um i i'm not necessarily like huge into the idea of you know us necessarily needing an origin story like this but these i think starting right off with this one th- th- this feels like uh and not just because they're animated but this feels uh definitely geared towards the younger star wars audience to kind of like instill uh you know 
like lessons intended for for younger people uh through the lens of star wars and uh i think i think if anything that's one of the things that's, that's probably it's most successful uh at doing and that might be part of the reason why i just didn't get caught up in it as much as i would something like clone wars uh or rebels um but it's yeah it was it was solid yeah i will say that baby ahsoka has nothing on baby uh yoda grogu I mean, a computer animated baby is never going to be as cute as, you know, a, a, a puppet creature. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Grogu even looks cute in like the animated form whenever you see like the merchandise and stuff. That's true. But hey, hey, speaking of cute, what what are those little uh, creatures the hopping dog around eating, yeah, eating treats? Because initially I thought those were loath cats, but they're not. They're something different. They're like, they seem like they're kind of dogs, but also kind of cats. They reminded me of. Uh the impression I got was that they were sort of a different breed of, of those tukas, right? Something crossed between like a, like a panda bear and a tuka. Nice. Yeah. They were, they were super cute. I would, I would definitely get a plush of one of those. Oh, me too. I, I hope that they're sold in the creature stall at some point on Batu. I'd, I'd totally buy them. Um, can we talk about the old woman in the town? Like what is her role? Is she, like the tribal leader is she the grandmother of ahsoka and by the way how great were like the wrinkles on her face i don't know that that in particular i guess starting out this this episode with like the the background that looked like a matte painting and then you saw like her face that that is what like struck me as like wow this is uh it felt like a leap above what we saw in clone wars see that was one of the textures that i actually didn't like very much but it's only because i think coco did it so much better with the grandmother in in that movie yeah well if you're going to compare it to anything to coco you're gonna everything's gonna lose you know it's it's interesting though too you think about the production time you get on a feature film versus a tv show oh for sure and uh they're pulling off miracles for the tv production time budget that they're working with yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I think to answer your question too, Peter, like she seems like she's like the elder of this this settlement, um, you know, uh, and so like she's the one who everyone looks to and, ha- you know, has this uh, this air of respect that's paid to her and kind of oversees the well-being of everybody. Have we seen any any f- have we gotten any time with these kind of people in Star Wars canon before this kind of tribe not, or this kind of alien not species? With, not with them. On their planet, I mean, we've definitely had some stuff with Shakti. Um, the the Tegruta did feature in the High Republic. Uh, I want to say the Fallen Star sort of featured them as they were first starting to come into the Republic, and they were led very much by a queen. Um, and and they were sort of trying to stay out of galactic politics. And um, I need to do some re- more research to refresh my memory because I hadn't thought that that question would come up but there is uh you know a couple of hundred years prior to this their first exposure to the republic and how they entered it yeah i mean I, i'd like to spend some more time in that world uh it seems interesting and i also want to say the music in this episode was exceptional and it's the I same guy that does um rebels Kevin Kiner, yeah, yeah. He, he he really knocked it all out of the park like he he brought everything he had to these episodes Okay, there's a shot late in the episode where a gun falls to the ground and there's a close-up of it. And I was wondering, it, it did I miss the metaphorical significance of that? Because it seemed like very uh, something that they were trying to show. I I mean, I don't know what you missed. Um, <laughs> no, it did, like... It, it did feel like a strange insert shot because, like... You could you didn't necessarily need to focus on the dropping of the gun for him to you know run over and make sure that uh you know that they were okay but like it, it lingered on it for yeah for some reason I so yeah I, I, I what, agree what I got out of it and again this could be me reading too closely though was the similarities between like what's important and him discarding the gun and going after like the loved ones rather than continuing to fight um but they they also didn't really need to fight at that point anymore because like everything was fine you know like 
I, I think that would have hit better if there was more significance to him dropping the gun, but he, he still could have easily just ran over there with the gun in his hand and <laughs> made sure that yeah. they were fine. Yeah, Sometimes think- an insert shot's just an insert shot. That's true. <laughs> I, I feel like there was something there that just didn't work or didn't get relayed. I don't know. I, 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 I didn't catch it. Um, the other thing I would like to say is it, it's cool that to see someone who gets discovered to have force powers and it's like that's a wonderful thing. It's not like oh they're different. Oh the, like it's not like the X Men thing of like oh they're you know uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, it it was cool to see the the tribe like like be happy about that. It it it's definitely a stark contrast to like the blatant kidnapping that the First Order does because I know that there have been in the prequels or the sequels. Um, lines drawn between what the Jedi do in taking kids and how Palpatine might try to go about it during the Clone Wars and how the First Order goes about it uh, during their time to create the Stormtrooper Corps. So it's absolutely, um, especially since so many of them are force sensitive, which, uh, you know, is, is interesting. But yeah, no, seeing these folks be like, oh, this is great. She's going to bring honor to us is really cool. There's some there's some really interesting ideas about that stuff that have sort of come in and out of the canon over the years. I know um, in Mike Stackpole's X-Wing books, uh, he explored this a little bit with uh, Corrin Horn in that like Corellians, when they got chosen to be Jedis and they made Jedi Knight, like they would mint coins for the family and the family we get to carry those around is this mark of pride, Um, you know. It, it, it's cool to see that kind of stuff filtering back into the universe. Okay. Uh, that is the first episode. Did either of you have anything else to say about it before we move into episode two? No. Okay. Episode. It, I was going to say it looks better on the big screen. This was the episode they showed at celebration. Oh, uh, the first one. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, Episode two is named Justice. It's directed by Saul Ruiz, who you're going to get to know a lot of in the series. Uh, He uh, did episodes of Bad Batch, Clone Wars, Resistance, Rebels. He started as a cinematic animator on Force Unleashed 2, the video gaming. And uh, this is also written by Dave Filoni. And this one is... This one follows Master Dooku and his apprentice, Qui-Gon Jinn, as they attempt to free a senator's son who is being held hostage by the people of a town. And they learn that the situation is quite a lot more complex politically. Uh, it's basically the beginning of Dooku's disillusionment with the the Jedi, uh, Jedi working with the Senate is what I kind of take from it. Brad, what is your thoughts on this episode? Uh, this episode was uh, was fine. I, you know, I I get I get a little frustrated just because like some, I wish sometimes shows would like um, I don't know let let villains be like villainous rather than trying to like fill in like reasoning like behind their villainy. And I understand like it's you know you, you want a villain to be fully fleshed out and so that you you understand that he's not evil just for the sake of being evil, but like there's some motivation behind it and what they think that they're doing is right. But for me, like. Uh, I don't know, like, like seeing like Dooku in this capacity, like it's, it kind of, I don't know, it took away some of the, the, the menace from, from him for me a little bit. Um, but, uh, I will say, I think that the, I, I was impressed at the character design for this younger version of, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn, because there are elements of his face that really do resemble, um, the facial, um, uh, features of, uh, a young Liam Neeson. Uh, especially in the in the eyes, uh, I and was really interestingly enough. It's a, it's voiced by Liam Neeson's son. Yes, yes, that's also very cool. Um, okay, I, I do have to ask you: Was the fact that that character is Qui Gon Jinn supposed to be a reveal at the end of the episode? Yeah, I I think it's meant to be. Like, I think that, and this is another thing that made me feel like this is geared towards kids because I feel like a lot of kids probably aren't going to realize that right away, but like adults immediately are going to know that that's Qui Gon Jinn because I noticed that they don't say his name until the very like last moment of this episode. So that was that's clearly meant to be something where kids are going to be like, "Oh, it's Qui Gon." <laughs> so I wanna I wanna push back a little on something you said though, Brad, about like how they're trying to 
humanize the villains and they should just let villains be villains. But I think the story is kind of necessary in, in Dooku's arc at the point where you have him like, I mean, they baked this into his background in attack of the clones where he was a Jedi. He was trained by Yoda and he did leave the order and everyone thought that it was his disillusion of, of politics that did that. But you see that there was something more sinister at work from the very beginning. And the only two people that were witness to that were Qui-Gon and Yaddle. And Qui-Gon dies and isn't allowed, isn't able to say like, no, like Dooku, Dooku probably is, is going to take things too far because he's dead. And when Yaddle discovers it, discovers it, obviously that, that causes problems for her. Um, but. Well, also Windu. Well, but Windu, Windu is like. I don't know, like Windu's just sort of wishy-washy about it and doesn't necessarily like he knows he's not the best at following orders, but he's not the best at following orders in the same way Qui-Gon might be. Right. Where it's like Windu's like, we're going to do the letter of the council uh, law and that's it. And and Dooku's like, well, why don't we investigate a little bit? It's very much the same situation with like Anakin and Obi-Wan in Attack of the Clones. There was so much Attack of the Clones in that episode. Yeah. Um but no, this this first episode uh, with Qui-Gon and, and Dooku, I just really loved the aesthetic of it. It felt very, it felt like those scenes in um, Throne of Blood, right? What do you mean? Like the mist everywhere, the okay. rundown shacks, um, some sort of like evil presence and even like, I don't know. Like I, 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 it felt very Kurosawa to me. Even the music too. The music had that vibe to it. Like a lot of these episodes had that Kurosawa music vibe to it. Do we know what this planet is? Like, is this something that? Oh, Raxus uh, Secundus has appeared in the canon before, um. And I will tell you, uh, Raxus uh, was where this is where a lot of stuff with uh, Quinlan Voss and uh, this is the the, uh, Quinlan Voss and Asajj Ventress did some stuff there uh, trying to assassinate Dooku. But this was actually the 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 capital of the Separatist Senate. So Ahsoka goes here with Padme. And that's where she meets Lux Bonteri in the Clone Wars. So I guess my question to you is, did the town suffer and continue or did Wait, it get better? Am, am I confusing Raxus Secundus? It's the second one. No, no, this is the one with the... Am I, am I right? Like, or was I don't know. Maybe, I know Raxus Secundus comes into one of these three episodes... And I thought it was this one, but it could be. Oh, it be might one. be the, the next one. The one with Mace Windu. You might be right. I think it might be the next one. I did not write down the, the planet on this one. Let me check my notes because I know I totally did. And, uh, yep, that's the next episode. Yeah, we don't know anything about this village. <laughs> Just to apply everything I said about Raxus Secundus to the next episode. My apologies. So, so we have no idea if things got better for these town people. Well, they probably joined the Separatists and Dooku made it better. <laughs> okay. Uh, Brad, do you have anything else to say about justice? Uh, no, that's uh, that's pretty much it. I think I'll add that I like the big hulking droid that was named Teuton, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I thought he was going to have a bigger play in this, this- episode, but... This really exemplifies, though, like George Lucas took a lot of flack in the opening crawl of Revenge of the Sith to say there are heroes on both sides and evil is everywhere. And this is another one of those examples of how people on both sides exhibit that evil and that corruption and that power. And I think it's um, a point that maybe 
Lucas didn't make as well as as he could have in, in Revenge of the Sith on its own, but through Clone Wars and his work there and then continued with Filoni and stuff like this really does show us that there is there are heroes on both sides and evil everywhere. <laughs> OK, let's move on to episode three choices. This one is directed by Charles Murray who is a live action director. He did the summoning a cold, hard truth, the devil, you know, but he also has written a couple episodes of Clone Wars and rebels. Uh, and, uh, this being his first animated directorial thing. That's probably why he has a co-director credit, uh, here Saul Ruiz who directed a couple of the other episodes. He's co-director here. And this episode also is the only episode that wasn't written by Filoni. It's written by Murray and, uh, Elon Murray, who is either his brother or sister or of some relation. I did not look it up, but anyways, uh, I'm going to say that this episode was probably my least favorite of the series. I think the mystery of who the murderer or who's the murderer, uh, kind of suffers from the short running time. It's kind of like resolved really quickly. And I feel like the, the notes of what's going on with Dooku is kind of like the same as the notes in the last episode. And I kind of wish, Instead of something like this, we got to see Dooku actually making the deal with Sidious. Do you know what I mean? Like, we actually I, got to see that moment instead of this moment. Because I feel like the the last moment in the last episode, I, it's the same note as this of why he's getting pushed. I think, I think, though, that, like, what they did is they actually took the previous episode and it was Dooku becoming frustrated with the corruption in the Senate. And then the second episode, and and Qui Gon's able to bring him back for for that from that, right? Then in this episode, it's his frustration with the corruption of the Jedi, and Qui Gon's not there anymore to bring him back from that, and he lost that grounding. And so I think taken together, these episodes work really well as companions on that thematic level. Fair enough. See, this is why I love talking to you, Brian, because you you always we have these discussions where I feel like I come up, come out with a different opinion. Maybe not your exact opinion, but uh, you are challenging the way I view this this episode. Um, what else did you think about this episode? Um, I you know I thought it was a curious choice to pair Dooku with Window Windu, and that was really why I was kind of trying to figure out why they were doing it, and that's when I kind of hit upon that idea of that contrast. Um, but they're they're very much an odd pair, and the ending really worked for me, where it's like Dooku thinks that Windu's just following rules to get onto the council, and that this is somehow a reflection on Dooku's inadequacy. And his ego, especially when Mace Windu keeps saying, like, no, there's no ego in this. And Dooku feels a little bit taken aback that that Windu is getting this spot on the council. Brad, your thoughts on choices? Um, yeah, I, you know, this is one of those things, too, where, like, I really started to feel the idea that this was just, like, meant to be the, these, like, gap fillers. And I, I almost feel like I would have appreciated, like, just a just a short form season like this that focused you know entirely on dooku and told like a more fully fleshed out story instead of giving us these moments like obviously we know a decent amount about dooku because of the the prequels you know and and other media that has given us details but like i guess i would have liked more of like a a bigger uh arc rather than seeing like these these little moments that just like kind of just explain things that i think that's my overall frustration with this is like these are all just like they feel like uh, like footnotes on a Wikipedia page or something like that that explain stuff that we didn't necessarily need to know, but just like kind of help a little bit, I guess, to explain things. Um, and that's that's kind of what what this felt like for me. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is the Jedi funeral thing at the end, where like this light comes out of the coffin that is in the ground. Is that something we've ever seen before? I don't think so. Yeah, no, we have seen that in Clone Wars. I want to say season four or five. Oh, okay. Um, and it's interesting though how Yoda's cameos through this were all mute, um, because there were some Jedi that died in 
Clone Wars and Yoda was the one who sp- sort of spoke at the funeral and they they brought in a hooded Kiati Mundi to do it. And I think that's an acknowledgement that uh, Dave Filoni didn't want to recast the voice of Yoda in deference to Tom Kane, who was in every episode of Clone Wars. And he had, a, I think, like a stroke or something and has lost his ability to perform. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So so all of those instances where Yoda was in the narrative were sort of particularly poignant, especially since um, that's the reason I think we didn't hear Yoda speak is that Filoni wouldn't recast it the way he did um, the way he the way he did with, uh, frankly, Palpatine in these episodes. I wondered why uh, we didn't hear him say anything in the, the later episode with uh, with Ahsoka. Yeah, I think I think that's your reason. I think it's that Tom Kane is unable to to do the voice and Filoni didn't want to recast it. So is this funeral thing or like they, is this like, um, you know, the funeral pyre in Return of the Jedi where they burn uh, Anakin's body, but it's like a more technological thing where it happens in like a casket and then the light is it representing what is going on here is I guess what I'm. What I'm really asking. I mean, like the visuals that we see here aren't much more detailed than the visuals we saw in Clone Wars. My impression was that this was them cremating the body in the temple. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what, what I, I think. Yeah, that's what I was wondering too. Is it, is it felt like it was like their that that's their way of doing the the cremation? I wasn't sure if it was just more ceremonial than than that, but yeah. Okay, that's episode three choices. Do you guys have anything else to add on that one? Seems no. like that. Okay, so episode four is the Sith Lord, and guess what, guys? This is directed by Saul Ruiz again, who's doing some heavy lifting on the series. It's written by Dave, and uh, this one was about uh, Dooku, who has been pushed to the dark side, having to deal with the loss of his apprentice Qui Gon, and deal with Yaddle, who suspects that he has something going on there's some evil plans uh and uh i don't know this is the like this episode here is the definition of a, a how this series kind of attempts to just close a bunch of loose ends like in the prequels they never really did like spell out what was going on with the camino being deleted from the jedi archives like it, it was a thread that was followed and obviously we knew Sifo-Dyas and all that, but like it was not really like, it was like a mystery that was never, never came to like a satisfying conclusion I felt. Yeah. And also this, this especially felt like, like frustrating to me too. Because, and like, uh, but also kind of funny because I love that immediately after he does this, uh, he talks to Jocasta new. So it's almost like a, like a like a in your face kind of moment because like she's so yeah. cocky about like the, it not being in the Jedi archives like if it's not here it doesn't exist and it's like you just talked to the guy who deleted it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I didn't even think about that. I I loved that the thing that made me really excited about this was that it shows us exactly where in the timeline this happens, right? Yeah, and that Palpatine's grand plan and his work with Dooku started well before um maul ever died right like dooku got recruited well before phantom menace started and because the clones had to have been started before phantom menace started yeah, yeah. but that, that's something we had assumed right we had assumed it um but also how um so like dooku's not a jedi at this point anymore Judo, uh, Dooku's already left the order and um, they sort of covered this in, in um, the Star Wars Padawan book that he's still sort of welcomed by the Jedi, even though he's like renounced his actual knighthood and sort of treated with disrespect and dignity there. Um, but I love that they place it at the moment where Qui-Gon is um, he just giving had- the report. Yeah, yeah. He, like that, I will say... I did like that, and that's one of the things that actually made me wish that they would have done something more and, like, uh, you know, kind of, like, I guess fleshed out the timeline a, a little bit, just, just just to have, like, a bit more of a complete story. Like, it was frustrating to me getting these the, the, the little pieces as opposed to getting something that felt a little more, you know, complete. Yeah. And and there was that great moment, too, with him and, and Qui-Gon, where Qui-Gon tells him how great Obi-Wan is and, and sort of references... Uh, 
Qui-Gon always speaking very highly of him when he finally has Obi-Wan in in you know bondage in on a Geonosis. Yeah. And I, I do love that this episode kind of plays alongside Phantom Menace and into, I guess, Clone Wars. I mean, uh, uh, Attack of the Clones, right? No, I mean, no, I mean, Attack of the Clones happens a decade after this. Yeah. This okay. One, so, this, so, this, this, so this it's just is, Phantom Menace. Yeah, this one is just Phantom Menace because it it ends the the end of it is when uh, we, like Dooku has learned that that Qui Gon is dead. Yeah, because that's the like, and and actually, that's why Yaddle starts talking to him. Like, they're sort of inviting him to the funeral, and he's like, "I don't think my presence would be welcome." Yeah. By the way, have we ever seen Yaddle talk in canon? Because I was kind no. of shocked that uh, first of all, she's voiced by Bryce Dallas Howard, and <laughs> number two, that she doesn't talk like Yoda. Yeah. So, I think. Um, I think this is sort of this answers one of the questions people have about like Grogu? W- what Grogu might speak like. And it's really like your accent and the way you speak and your diction is all really like predicated on how you learn in the first place. And so Yoda probably was, you know, around in his hometown for a lot longer than Yaddle was before joining the order. Oh, interesting. So maybe the species do speak backwards, but for whatever reason, the only other one we've met who talks so far doesn't speak like Yoda does. Well, if Yoda, if Yoda ended up in the Jedi order, like at age 60 or 70, right? Like 20 years older than Grogu, but Yaddle ends up there as a 10 year old, right? Yeah. She's not going to have the same verbal baggage that he does because he spent so much more time in that culture. That's yeah. interesting. I it's like that's... someone that was like born in England and moves to the States before yeah. learning language and they speak, you know, like an American or <laughs> speak, yeah. like, you know, yeah, with the American accent. Do you think that's a question they'll ever answer, Brian? Where <laughs> they come from or, or where Yoda well, was in there? I mean, yeah, I guess, but I guess both. I guess like, will they ever reveal more about Yoda's species? And then will they, we ever, ever like find out if Yoda and like his family are the only ones who speak that in that unique way? I don't think they'll get into it. I think Yoda works much better as mysterious and you'd have to go back like 800 years in star Wars for that. And I mean, like it seems like three or 400 years back is about as far as they're going right now. Yeah. So maybe who knows? (laughs) Um, Okay, we get this confrontation between Dooku and the Emperor, which is kind of cool. And then this epic Yaddle-Dooku lightsaber battle, which I, I just was not expecting at all. Because, you know, Brian, I know that you've seen the prequel so many times. Once or but, twice. But um, aside from Phantom Menace, I don't think I've seen Attack of the Clones and uh, Revenge of the Sith that much. I've seen it a, a handful of times. And... I always, in the back of my mind, was like, oh, I thought Yaddle probably died in Order 66 or or something. So this confrontation ending with her death was kind of surprising to me. So here's the thing about Yaddle. Um, you'll notice if you watch Attack of the Clones again, by this time in Attack of the Clones, she's no longer on the council. No one says anything about her in the canon, uh, at least in the current canon. There was definitely some stuff that happened with her in Legends. But after Phantom Menace, she never appears again. There are definitely some flashbacks and force visions in the current canon that reference Yaddle, and there's an expectation that maybe she might have gotten away or maybe she was around. But it seems like... um, there's there's nothing concrete. We never actually see her in the flesh again. And so I was kind of surprised to see her die because there were definitely some hints that maybe she could have survived Order 66. Um, but, uh, you know, here she is. And, and so this is as compelling a reason for her to no longer be on the Order um, as anything. If only she could have sent a transmission about Dooku before, you know, back to the Jedi Council before her death, then then all of Star Wars, except for Phantom Menace, would not have happened. Yeah. 
<laughs> I thought it was particularly brutal too. Like when he closes that door on her, I, I literally gasped like, holy shit. Like, yeah, that was, that was rough. And then like the shot of him, like actually putting his blade into her, it, the music was very reminiscent of like the music this whole time actually felt very reminiscent of Anakin's ruminate or Padme's ruminations from the revenge of the Sith soundtrack. And you notice the lighting scheme and coloring of the Coruscant skyline is very much that same golden hour as when Anakin is making his final choice. So this episode being called choices and reflecting the, the visual and uh, auditory tone of Anakin having to make his choice in revenge of the Sith with Dooku here and being forced to make a choice to kill a Jedi from the council with Palpatine watching on, it felt like a really great bit of poetry. Yeah. Um, okay. Episode five practice makes well, perfect. Oh, you have something else to say? Well, that was actually Ian McDermott and Liam Neeson as their characters, which this is uh, Ian McDermott hasn't voiced Palpatine on the Clone Wars uh, at all. It was always Ian Abercrombie and then Tim Curry took over. Yeah, I was actually surprised to hear uh, both of them uh, provide their voices as well, especially since they didn't get, uh, you know, any of the other like key characters back. Because I, yeah, I, I just thought that was surprising. Well, Liam Neeson has been pretty vocal about like he doesn't want anybody else playing quack Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, he, he came back for Clone Wars. Uh, and obviously now we know he came back for Kenobi. So no, that's very cool. Okay. Uh, episode five practice makes perfect. Uh, again, directed by Saul Ruiz and written by Dave Filoni. And I think this might be my second least favorite of these, these episodes. This is the one where Anakin gives Ahsoka a test against a troop of clone troopers and she learns from it. And, uh, and that's basically the. I think I think story. this was my favorite, actually, of all but of them. I feel like the, the least amount of stuff actually happens. In Brian, this. Brian and I had to talk about this because we were were planning like coverage about the show. Uh, yeah. W- before like it comes out, and he actually said something that made me appreciate it a little bit more, and I'll, I'll let him talk about it so that. People so, can. Anakin's test basically trains her how to escape custody in the wrong Jedi and to survive Order sixty six. Right in the wrong Jedi, those episodes where where Ahsoka is escaping from the clones chasing her down, shooting these stun blasts at her. If mm. Anakin didn't put her through this training, they would have stunned her there, captured her, and kicked her out of the order then. Right, but she's able to escape because of that, and the moves that she's doing, and the use of both lightsabers, because Anakin clearly gives her that second lightsaber in this training sequence to make sure that she can stand up against them even even harder. And he says, you know, she's like, battle droids aren't half as good as these guys. And she's like, and Anakin's like, yeah. And if you can stand up to Rex and the boys, you can handle anything. And that's exactly what she has to do. That foreshadowing of her having to stand up exactly to Rex and these particular guys who are so impressed by her and so into her. Um, It's such an emotional thing to think that they trained her to avoid order 66 right then and there. And then how much more emotional is it that we get that other view of the scene from order 66 where Rex has had his chip removed and they open that door and all of these men that helped train her to do this and to survive to that point are wearing the paint from her mask um, at that time. Like it's amazing and it's really emotional. And I got really overwhelmed watching the episode connecting all those dots. Well, you, you have definitely made me appreciate this episode a little bit more. I will say, I, I guess I'm just a little confused by the storytelling because in the beginning of the episode, there's this test at the beginning with training remotes. And it looked oh. like she did a good job, but then like Anakin's disappointed in her. Anakin wasn't disappointed in her. And he says straight out, he was disappointed in the test. Yeah, he says it's a bad test. It's, 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 he doesn't think that it tests her skills enough to really be helpful for her as, as part of her training. Oh, okay. I, I, I did. That was not and, clear to me. And the other thing is that, um, the the other thing is that um, Caleb Doom is there watching. Like Kanan Jarrus is there watching this test. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I will say that the power of some of these episodes comes. It 
it requires you to have relationships with these characters and to know the other stories coming in because that the end like everything you said your interpretation of this episode and even even i who i thought this was uh until hearing your interpretation i thought it was one of the weaker episodes you know i got emotional at the ending because i know what the ending means but if you haven't seen clone wars that ending means nothing to you like do you know i mean like this episode's like that's a weird way to end it no, because my so like I it didn't have like a, a resonance for me because I I haven't seen, you know, all of like Clone Wars and, and Rebels and whatnot. But like uh, I still know enough like to get the context of that. So it, it but I, I agree with you. And that's a, another big reason why this feels like something that's not not incomplete because this is obviously what their intention of the show was. But it's just it's what, what makes me want more, you know, like something that feels like it doesn't rely on knowing all this other stuff you know, to really appreciate it. I will say this about the series. I was expecting to come out of this being like, I I wish instead that this was like a full length series where like there was an episode, a 30 minute episode on Ahsoka, a 30 minute episode on Dooku. And I came away really liking the shorts because it really keeps, it really forces them to be concise with the storytelling and what they're trying to relay and it there's not moments of filler there's never moments of filler it always feels like everything is deliberate it draws connections between the similarities between dooku and ahsoka in really fascinating ways i hadn't thought about too how's that right like well i okay so so dooku becomes disillusioned with the jedi and leaves to go join the sith ahsoka becomes disillusioned with the jedi and leaves to try to be a dirt farmer because she's sick of fighting. And the two of them, um, I, I really loved that idea of like the the funeral imagery where, where it was important for Ahsoka to show up at Padme's funeral and she wasn't going to miss it, right? Where Dooku had divorced himself from that attachment completely and wouldn't go to Qui-Gon's funeral. And so you see these, these touch points with these characters sort of drifting in different ways from the... I don't want to say abuse because I don't think it's as far as abuse, but like from the the dogma of the Jedi Order mistreating them. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, let's get to episode six, Resolve. This is, again, directed by Saul Ruiz. It's written by Dave. And this is about uh, Soka, uh, who almost gets caught at Padme, Padme's funeral. And... Bale gives her a way to connect with him in the future, which leads to a situation later where she's uncovered to be a Jedi and found by an Inquisitor. Uh, she ends up contacting Bale for help, which leads to her being part of the formation of the Rebellion. So uh, I really like this episode. It had a lot of uh, cool moments, like seeing her at the funeral. Uh, the The ending just hit all the right emotional notes. Uh should we just make it a rule now that uh, a Jedi in hiding will always be forced to use their powers in a situation in public to save or help someone and then get noticed? Because I feel like that's a trope that has now become like a big thing in Star Wars. Have you forgotten? This is how Jedi hunt themselves. <laughs> and this is also, uh, they also have to do blue collar work. They're, none of them are going and like working, you know, in a, a library or, you know, doing anything you know, other than like working in very you know <laughs> dirty and like just just rough conditions. They're so educated and so smart, but I guess maybe those positions require like a resume that would be traced like that they can't easily. I- I'm guessing the the blue collar work like you know doesn't require. Well, and it's, well, and it's, it's, a, it's a rural area too. You know, yeah. there's not a ton of people around. Like they're not. They're, it's probably a bad idea for you know Ahsoka or Obi Wan to go like work in the city. <laughs> Yeah, like Obi-Wan's not going to go like, I have a lot of skills at negotiation. And like, what's he going to do? Sell used speeders? (laughs) Give out loans? (laughs) Yeah. Brad, what did you think of this episode? Yeah, I thought this was cool, you know, in the, um, but like also kind of simple. It it really feels just like a 15 minute version of like the entire season of Obi-Wan, basically. You know, like Ahsoka is definitely following pretty much the same path that Obi-Wan does in his series. 
Um, you know, there's not the same uh, stakes or tension because it's not, you know, Obi-Wan versus Vader. Um, but yeah, I, I, the visuals were very cool here. The score was fantastic. You know, the, the final confrontation is something that's that's very cool. Uh, so yeah, I, I did enjoy this episode for the most part. I, I will say thematically, I'm not sure what pulls her back in. I, I understand uh, her losing her friend was something that like really probably meant a lot to her. But like she literally helped someone out with her force powers and that person betrayed her and sent inquisitors after her and she was like sure now i'll join the rebellion well that well the person she saved didn't didn't betray her it was the significant other of the person who betrayed yeah. her right so i th- i think for me from my perspective was is that what what really drew her in i think is um and brian maybe you have a different reading but i think it's maybe she realizes that no matter where she goes like there's always going to be somebody who is willing to do something like that and we'll, we'll bring her back in and maybe rather than putting more people in danger, she would just, you know, confront it head on and just go back to it. I think, I think that's, that's, I mean, I think that's the read. And I think it's, it's a very compressed sort of retelling of what happens in EK Johnson's Ahsoka book. The details are a little bit different and there's probably two ways you could look at it, right? Where it's like, this is just a retelling, a slight retelling of what happens in that book or, Ahsoka ends up on two different farms and taking down two different inquisitors, but really watching innocents get, get put into danger over and over again, because the empire is relentless in their hunt of her uh, or any Jedi is really enough to motivate her to say, okay, I have to fight. I don't have a choice because I, I think one of the things that star Wars stands for on like sort of a, a personal political level is the idea that doing nothing aids the oppressor and that you have to stand up at some point. And where's that line where you stand up? And, uh, you know, for Ahsoka, it's a lot sooner than someone like, say, Cassian Andor. Um, can we talk about the Inquisitor? Is this an Inquisitor we've ever seen before? Because I like how cool his, like, vulture-like mask looks. No, this is this is new for the show. Um, it, it, it feels like a slightly different inquisitor than was documented in EK Johnson's book, but the story team has been upfront from the very beginning of the new canon that there are going to be differences in interpretations between media that it's going to be, um, designed for the media it's in and slight details will change because of that. Yeah. Cause a lot of people initially thought when this character appeared in the trailer, that this was the sixth brother um but but johnson came out and said that it was uh, a new inquisitor so it wasn't exactly the same character that had appeared uh, in that book uh and i mean I'm, I'm i'm stating the obvious here but i'm guessing the ending we're supposed to believe that this is how ahsoka become became fulcrum um there's a much more detailed version of the story that involves r2 and a reunion with r2 and ahsoka in that ahsoka book but essentially she does connect with Bail Organa and he puts her on that path one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, anything else left to say about episode six resolve? It was cool. I loved that the flaming again, coming back to the Kurosawa sort of the, the flaming background of the farm felt very much like some of the scenes in seven samurai. Yeah. Um, uh- and I really, I really enjoy that. And I also loved, in this case too, just how cocky uh, this Inquisitor was. And Ahsoka just has no problem just getting rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was it's, so happy to see her, though. He was yeah, like, that oh, was, I, yeah. That was another thing that reminded me of Seven Samurai. It was very much the fight between Kyuzo, the Swordsmaster, and the guy who's like, no, I'm better than everybody. And Kyuzo just like makes the, the sparest mo- movements possible. And... You know, the guy's like, well, we'll call it a draw. And this fight felt very much like that. Where like this guy was so arrogant. He didn't realize that he was fighting against a master. And that's what Ahsoka has become at this point. Okay, let's get into speculation here. Do you guys think that there's going to be a season two of this? Do you think there'll be more? I think so. This feels like the kind of thing where they could easily, especially because it's such short form, that they could use other Jedi characters to start filling in other gaps. Because personally, the, one of the things I was most excited about, and 
a little bit disappointed and to some extent uh, when we saw like the, the, the trailer for this finally is that it focused on Ahsoka and Dooku. Cause for me, I was more interested uh, in seeing like the stories of like Kiara Mundi and, and Plo Koon and stuff like that expanded. And I, I, I hope that they do do that um, in the future if they, if they continue the series. So in at celebration, uh, Athena Portillo was kind of talking and Dave Filoni were talking about how like, you know, Disney was just sort of giving money for things that they could get off the ground. And she found the money from Disney to allow Dave to do this. If it does well, I can imagine that they would find more money to do it. Okay. Then I guess the question is if more money falls off that truck, which I'm sure it will, uh, what other Jedi would you like to see this done with? One of the most fascinating parts of this, of this was for me is that episode that, goes alongside Phantom Menace. You know, it makes me wonder, and this is all done in the prequel era. Could you do this for the original trilogy era? I mean, technically there's no other Jedi, but there are. Well, but you could do it through the Empire. You could do you could do Obi-Wan and Kanan at the same time. Yeah. And, and you could also do Anakin or, yeah, you could, there, there's other ways of doing it. Uh, could you do it in the sequel trilogy? era could you what would you guys like to see i would like to see a sequel to the sequel trilogy with ray and finn <laughs> what is going on in your background <laughs> yeah, <what was> that? <laughs> i would say like i get my kid came in with a phone with another kid on the phone sorry about that <laughs> um, i'm leaving that in brian i'm leaving that in um okay uh yeah what other characters would you like to see done if they, if they do further episodes I'd love, with us. I'd love to see a High Republic show this way. Um, it could be interesting. And But I think the, the spirit of it is to talk, like, the relation of characters to the Jedi Order. What I would like to, well, yeah, this, this is, but I feel like that's only just because it's the prequel era of this, this season of but, it. But I that's why it would be interesting to do like Ray and Finn because like what how do they reestablish their relationship to the Jedi Order? Well, what I would like to see is Ben Solo. I would like yeah. to see the, the like some of the stuff we haven't seen with him and Luke and the rebuilding of the Jedi Temple and the Knights of Ren. Like I would like to see some of that. I, I know it's played out in comics and some books and stuff like that, but I feel like people don't read anymore. <laughs> so I'd like to see it in in, in this show. And I don't necessarily know if this is something that they're planning on touching on in Ahsoka or, you know, any of the other series set in the same time period. Uh, but this series feels like the perfect format and opportunity to, like, maybe show us, um, like, uh, a previous interaction between Luke and Ahsoka, since they obviously already know each other by the time we see them. Uh, oh, good point. You know, in, in Book of Boba Fett. And also you could touch into, like... Uh... The whole, I mean, they just recently did a book on this, but the, you know, Ray's parents and uh, Luke with Lando, that whole, um, that whole stuff. I think there, there might be something you could pull from, but uh, I don't know. I, I like the idea. It's kind of the weakest part of the show for me, but it's also uh, the, the thing I like the most is the idea of this, like tying up loose ends that we may have had with Star Wars stories. And getting to see like these moments that like we we assumed happened, but now we get to see see them happen. Yeah, yeah I hope they can do something something more with it than just doing that because I, I do wish there was a little bit more uh, to to latch onto. Yeah, I would have. I was actually surprised when I opened up the thing and saw the the lengths. Yeah, of yeah. the episodes. I thought when we were getting these shorts, I thought they'd all be at least half episode length. Same, but like practice makes perfect was like with credits 10 minutes yeah it's really short i yeah. mean altogether what th this is probably like an hour maybe maybe even it's less like, than an i hour, think it's right? like an hour and 15 minutes total wow i really wonder if disney plus is going to continue to keep on pushing like short form content on their platform because it's so hard to market and even put a tile on like the platform, like the Groot stuff. They have like a tile for each one of the shorts because they don't like it's not a series here. At least it's going to be a series. I don't know. It, it just seems like such a weird thing. But I, I guess 
you know, the money for an hour in 10 minutes of shorts is a lot less money than it is to do a season of television. Yeah. In the animated. So, yeah. Anything else left to say, say, say before we go? No, I enjoyed it. I hope they do more. Yeah. I, I also hope they do more. I, I enjoyed it. It was, I think I was, I had very low expectations and when it, everything kind of like connected into things that I, I cared about, uh, I don't know, you, you, even the first episode, which doesn't really, uh, isn't really that additive to canon in any way. It's just cool. It was just a cool moment to, to witness in, in Ahsoka's backstory. So, uh, you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast in Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Please also, if you have feedback, questions, comments, concerns, speculation, send it to Peter at slashfilm.com and rate and read this podcast in Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we will see you tomorrow. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.